0: Chapter twenty second of The Heart of Midlothian by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Most righteous judge, a sentence come prepare. Merchant of Venice. It is by no means my intention to describe minutely the forms of a Scottish criminal trial nor am i sure that i could draw up an account so intelligible and accurate as to abide the criticism of the gentleman of the long robe it is enough to say that the jury was impaneled and the case proceeded the prisoner was again required to plead to the charge and she again replied not guilty in the same heart-thrilling tone as before the crown council then called two or three female witnesses by whose testimony it was established that effie's situation had been remarked by them that they had taxed her with the fact and that her answers had amounted to an angry and petulant denial of what they charged her with but as very frequently happens the declaration of the panel or accused party herself was the evidence which bore hardest upon her case in the event of these tales ever finding their way across the border it may be proper to apprise the southern reader that it is the practice in scotland on apprehending a suspected person to subject him to a judicial examination before a magistrate he is not compelled to answer any of the questions asked of him but may remain silent if he sees it his interest to do so but whatever answers he chooses to give are formally written down and being subscribed by himself and the magistrate are produced against the accused in case of his being brought to trial it is true that these declarations are not produced as being in themselves evidence properly so called but only as adminacles of testimony tending to corroborate what is considered as legal and proper evidence notwithstanding this nice distinction however introduced by lawyers to reconcile this procedure to their own general rule that a man cannot be required to bear witness against himself it nevertheless usually happens that these declarations become the means of condemning the accused as it were out of their own mouths the prisoner upon these previous examinations has indeed the privilege of remaining silent if he pleases but every man necessarily feels that a refusal to answer natural and pertinent interrogatories put by judicial authority is in itself a strong proof of guilt and will certainly lead to his being committed to prison and few can renounce the hope of obtaining liberty by giving some specious account of themselves and showing apparent frankness in explaining their motives and accounting for their conduct it therefore seldom happens that the prisoner refuses to give a judicial declaration in which nevertheless either by letting out too much of the truth or by endeavoring to substitute a fictitious story he almost always exposes himself to suspicion and to contradictions which weigh heavily in the minds of the jury the declaration of effie deans was uttered on other principles and the following is a sketch of its contents given in the judicial form in which they may still be found in the books of adjournal the declarant admitted a criminal intrigue with an individual whose name she desired to conceal being interrogated what her reason was for secrecy on this point she declared that she had no right to blame that person's conduct more than she did her own and that she was willing to confess her own faults but not to say anything which might criminate the absent Interrogated if she confessed her situation to any one or made any preparation for her confinement declares she did not and being interrogated why she forbore to take steps which her situation so peremptorily required declares she was ashamed to tell her friends and she trusted the person she has mentioned would provide for her and the infant interrogated if he did so declares that he did not do so personally but that it was not his fault for that the declarant is convinced he would have laid down his life sooner than the bairn or she had come to harm interrogated what prevented him from keeping his promise declares that it was impossible for him to do so he being under trouble at the time and declines farther answer to this question interrogated where she was from the period she left her master mr saddletree's family until her appearance at her father's at st leonard's the day before she was apprehended declares she does not remember and on the interrogatory being repeated declares she does not mind muckle about it for she was very ill on the question being again repeated she declares she will tell the truth if it should be the undoing of her so long as she is not asked to tell on other folk and admits that she passed that interval of time in the lodging of a woman an acquaintance of that person who had wished her to that place to be delivered and that she was there delivered accordingly of a male child interrogated what was the name of that person declares and refuses to answer this question interrogated where she lives declares she has no certainty for that she was taken to the lodging aforesaid under cloud of night interrogated if the lodging was in the city or suburbs declares and refuses to answer that question interrogated whether when she left the house of mr saddletree she went up or down the street declares and refuses to answer the question interrogated whether she had ever seen the woman before she was wished to her as she termed it by the person whose name she refuses to answer declares and replies not to her knowledge interrogated whether this woman was introduced to her by the said person verbally or by word of mouth declares she has no freedom to answer this question Interrogated if the child was alive when it was born. Declares that, God help her and it, it certainly was alive. Interrogated if it died a natural death after birth. Declares not to her knowledge. Interrogated, where is it now? Declares she would give her right hand to Ken, but that she never hopes to see more than the bane's of it and being interrogated why she supposes it is now dead the declarant wept bitterly and made no answer interrogated if the woman in whose lodging she was seemed to be a fit person to be with her in that situation declares she might be fit enough for skill but that she was an hard-hearted bad woman interrogated if there was any other person in the lodging excepting themselves too, declares that she thinks there was another woman, but her head was so carried with pain of body and trouble of mind that she minded her very little, interrogated when the child was taken away from her, declared that she fell in a fever and was light-headed and when she came to her own mind the woman told her the bairn was dead and that the declarant answered if it was dead it had had foul play that thereupon the woman was very sore on her and gave her much ill language and that the deponent was frightened and crawled out of the house when her back was turned and went home to st leonard's crags as well as a woman in her condition dot interrogated why she did not tell her story to her sister and father and get force to search the house for her child dead or alive declares it was her purpose to do so but she had not time interrogated why she now conceals the name of the woman and the place of her abode the declarant remained silent for a time and then said that to do so could not repair the scathe that was done but might be the occasion of more interrogated whether she had herself at any time had any purpose of putting away the child by violence declares never so might god be merciful to her and then again declares never when she was in her perfect senses but what bad thoughts the enemy might put into her brain when she was out of herself she cannot answer and again solemnly interrogated declares that she would have been drawn with wild horses rather than have touched the bairn with an unmotherly hand interrogated declares that among the ill language the woman gave her she did say sure enough that the declarant had hurt the bairn when she was in the brain fever but that the declarant does not believe that she said this from any other cause than to frighten her and make her be silent interrogated what else the woman said to her declares that when the declarant cried loud for her bairn and was like to raise the neighbours the woman threatened her that they could stop the wean's skirling would stop hers if she did not keep all the founder and that this threat with the manner of the woman made the declarant conclude that the bairn's life was gone and her own in danger for that the woman was a desperate bad woman as the declarant judged from the language she used interrogated declares that the fever and delirium were brought on her by hearing bad news suddenly told to her but refuses to say what the said news related to interrogated why does she not now communicate these particulars which might perhaps enable the magistrate to ascertain whether the child is living or dead and requested to observe that her refusing to do so exposes her own life and leaves the child in bad hands as also that her present refusal to answer on such points is inconsistent with her alleged intention to make a clean breast to her sister declares that she kens the bairn is now dead or if living there is one that will look after it that for her own living or dying she is in god's hands who knows her innocence of harming her bairn with her will or knowledge and that she has altered her resolution of speaking out which she entertained when she left the woman's lodging on account of a matter which she has since learned and declares in general that she is wearied and will answer no more questions at this time upon a subsequent examination euphemia deans adhered to the declaration she had formerly made with this addition that a paper found in her trunk being shown to her she admitted that it contained the credentials in consequence of which she resigned herself to the conduct of the woman at whose lodgings she was delivered of the child its tenor ran thus dearest effie i have gotten the means to send to you by a woman who is well qualified to assist you in your approaching strait. she is not what i could wish her but i cannot do better for you in my present condition i am obliged to trust to her in this present calamity for myself and you too i hope for the best though i am now in a sore pinch yet thought is free i think handy dandy and i may queer the stiffler for all that is come and gone you will be angry for me writing this to my little cameronian lily but if i can but live to be a comfort to you and a father to your baby you will have plenty of time to scold once more let none knew your counsel my life depends on this hag damn her she is both deep and dangerous but she has more wiles and wit than ever were in a beldam's head and has cause to be true to me farewell my lily do not droop on my account in a week i will be yours or no more my own then followed a postscript if they must trust me i will repent of nothing so much even at the last hard pinch as of the injury i have done my lily effie refused to say from whom she had received this letter but enough of the story was now known to ascertain that it came from robertson and from the date it appeared to have been written about the time when andrew wilson called for a nickname handy-dandy and he were meditating their first abortive attempt to escape which miscarried in the manner mentioned in the beginning of this history the evidence of the crown being concluded the counsel for the prisoner began to lead a proof in her defence the first witnesses were examined upon the girl's character all gave her an excellent one but none with more feeling than worthy mrs Saddletree who with the tears on her cheeks declared that she could not have had a higher opinion of effie Deans, nor a more sincere regard for her if she had been her own daughter all present gave the honest woman credit for her goodness of heart excepting her husband who whispered to Dykes that nickel novit of yours is but a raw hand at leading evidence i'm thinking what signified his bringing a woman here to snotter and snivel and bather their lordships he should have seated me sir and i should have given them suck a screed of testimony they shouldna have touched a hair of her head hadna ye better get up and try it yet said the laird i'll make a note to novit na na said saddletree thank ye for nothing neighbour that would be ultronious evidence and i ken what belongs to that but nicol novit should have had me seated debito tempore and wiping his mouth with his silk handkerchief with great importance he resumed the port and manner of an edified and intelligent auditor mr farebrother now premised in a few words that he meant to bring forward his most important witness upon whose evidence the cause must in a great measure depend what his client was they had learned from the preceding witnesses and so far as general character given in the most forcible terms and even with tears could interest every one in her fate she had already gained that advantage. It was necessary, he admitted, that he should produce more positive testimony of her innocence than what arose out of general character, and this he undertook to do by the mouth of the person to whom she had communicated her situation, by the mouth of her natural counselor and guardian, her sister. May, sir, call into court Jean or Jeanie Deans— daughter of david dean's cow-feeder at st leonard's crags when he uttered these words the poor prisoner instantly started up and stretched herself halfway over the bar towards the side at which her sister was to enter and when slowly following the officer the witness advanced to the foot of the table effie with the whole expression of her countenance altered from that of confused shame and dismay to an eager imploring and almost ecstatic earnestness of entreaty with outstretched hands hair streaming back eyes raised eagerly to her sister's face and glistening through tears exclaimed in a tone that went through the heart of all who heard her oh jeanie jeanie save me save me with a different feeling yet equally appropriated to his proud and self-dependent character old deans drew himself back still farther under the cover of the bench so that when jeanie as she entered the court cast a timid glance towards the place at which she had left him seated his venerable figure was no longer visible he sat down on the other side of Dyke's, wrung his hand hard and whispered ah laird this is worst of all if i can but win over this part i feel my head unco dizzy but my master is strong in his servant's weakness after a moment's mental prayer he again started up as if impatient of continuing in any one posture and gradually edged himself forward towards the place he had just quitted jeanie in the meantime had advanced to the bottom of the table when unable to resist the impulse of affections she suddenly extended her hand to her sister effie was just within the distance that she could seize it with both hers press it to her mouth cover it with kisses and bathe it in tears with the fond devotion that a catholic would pay to a guardian saint descended for his safety while jeanie hiding her own face with her other hand wept bitterly the sight would have moved a heart of stone much more of flesh and blood many of the spectators shed tears and it was some time before the presiding judge himself could so far subdue his emotion as to request the witness to compose herself and the prisoner to forbear those marks of eager affection which however natural could not be permitted at that time and in that presence the solemn oath the truth to tell and no truth to conceal as far as she knew or should be asked was then administered by the judge in the name of god and as the witness should answer to god at the great day of judgment an awful adjuration which seldom fails to make impression even on the most hardened characters and to strike with fear even the most upright genie educated in deep and devout reverence for the name and attributes of the deity was by the solemnity of a direct appeal to his person and justice odd but at the same time elevated above all considerations save those which she could with a clear conscience call him to witness she repeated the form in a low and reverent but distinct tone of voice after the judge to whom and not to any inferior officer of the court the task is assigned in scotland of directing the witness in that solemn appeal which is the sanction of his testimony when the judge had finished the established form he added in a feeling but yet a monitory tone an advice which the circumstances appeared to him to call for young woman these were his words you come before this court in circumstances which it would be worse than cruel not to pity and to sympathize with yet it is my duty to tell you that the truth whatever its consequences may be the truth is what you owe to your country and to that god whose word is truth and whose name you have now invoked use your own time in answering the questions that gentlemen pointing to the council shall put to you but remember that what you may be tempted to say beyond what is the actual truth you must answer both here and hereafter the usual questions were then put to her whether any one had instructed her what evidence she had to deliver whether any one had given or promised her any good deed higher or reward for her testimony whether she had any malice or ill-will at his majesty's advocate being the party against whom she was cited as a witness to which questions she successively answered by a quiet negative but their tenor gave great scandal and offence to her father who was not aware that they are put to every witness as a matter of form Naw, naw! he exclaimed, loud enough to be heard. "'My bairn is no like the widow of Tekoa. No man has put in words into her mouth.' One of the judges, better acquainted, perhaps, with the books of a journal than with the books of Samuel, was disposed to make some instant inquiry after this widow of Tekoa who as he construed the matter had been tampering with the evidence but the presiding judge better versed in scripture history whispered to his learned brother the necessary explanation and the pause occasioned by this mistake had the good effect of giving jeanie deans time to collect her spirits for the painful task she had to perform fairbrother whose practice and intelligence were considerable saw the necessity of letting the witness compose herself in his heart he suspected that she came to bear false witness in her sister's cause but that is her own affair thought fairbrother and it is my business to see that she has plenty of time to regain composure and to deliver her evidence be it true or be it false valiet quantum accordingly he commenced his interrogatories with uninteresting questions which admitted of instant reply you are i think the sister of the prisoner yes sir not the full sister however no sir we are by different mothers True. "'And you are, I think, several years older than your sister?' "'Yes, sir,' etc. After the advocate had conceived that, by these preliminary and unimportant questions, he had familiarized the witness with the situation in which she stood, he asked whether she had not remarked her sister's state of health to be altered during the latter part of the term when she had lived with Mrs. Saddletree. Jeanie answered in the affirmative and she told you the cause of it my dear i suppose said fairbrother in an easy and as one may say an inductive sort of tone i am sorry to interrupt my brother said the crown council rising but i am in your lordship's judgment whether this be not a leading question if this point is to be debated said the presiding judge the witness must be removed for the scottish lawyers regard with a sacred and scrupulous horror every question so shaped by the counsel examining as to convey to a witness the least intimation of the nature of the answer which is desired from him these scruples though founded on an excellent principle are sometimes carried to an absurd pitch of nicety especially as it is generally easy for a lawyer who has his wits about him to elude the objection fairbrother did so in the present case it is not necessary to waste the time of the court my lord since the king's council thinks it worth while to object to the form of my question i will shape it otherwise pray young woman did you ask your sister any question when you observed her looking unwell take courage speak out i asked her replied jeanie what ailed her very well take your own time and what was the answer she made continued mr fairbrother Jeanie was silent and looked deadly pale. It was not that she at any one instant entertained an idea of the possibility of prevarication. It was the natural hesitation to extinguish the last spark of hope that remained for her sister. "'Take courage, young woman,' said Fairbrother. "'I asked what your sister said ailed her when you inquired.' "'Nothing,' answered Jeanie with a faint voice which was yet heard distinctly in the most distant corner of the court-room. Such an awful and profound silence had been preserved during the anxious interval which had interposed betwixt the lawyer's question and the answer of the witness. Fairbrother's countenance fell, but with that ready presence of mind which is as useful in civil as in military emergencies he immediately rallied nothing true you mean nothing at first but when you asked her again did she not tell you what ailed her the question was put in a tone meant to make her comprehend the importance of her answer had she not been already aware of it the ice was broken however and with less pause than at first she now replied alack alack she never breathed word to me about it a deep groan passed through the court it was echoed by one deeper and more agonized from the unfortunate father the hope to which unconsciously and in spite of himself he had still secretly clung had now dissolved and the venerable old man fell forward senseless on the floor of the courthouse, with his head at the foot of his terrified daughter the unfortunate prisoner with impotent passion strove with the guards betwixt whom she was placed let me gang to my father i will gang to him i will gang to him he is dead he is killed i have killed him she repeated in frenzied tones of grief which those who heard them did not speedily forget even in this moment of agony and general confusion Jeanie did not lose that superiority which a deep and firm mind assures to its possessor under the most trying circumstances he is my father he is our father she mildly repeated to those who endeavored to separate them as she stooped shaded aside his grey hairs and began assiduously to chafe his temples the judge after repeatedly wiping his eyes gave directions that they should be conducted into a neighboring apartment and carefully attended the prisoner as her father was born from the court and her sister slowly followed pursued them with her eyes so earnestly fixed as if they would have started from their sockets but when they were no longer visible she seemed to find in her despairing and deserted state a courage which she had not yet exhibited the bitterness of it is now past she said and then boldly addressed the court my lords if it is your pleasure to gang on with this matter the weariest day will have its end at last the judge who much to his honour had shared deeply in the general sympathy was surprised at being recalled to his duty by the prisoner he collected himself and requested to know if the panel's counsel had more evidence to produce Fairbrother replied with an air of dejection that his proof was concluded the king's counsel addressed the jury for the crown he said in a few words that no one could be more concerned than he was for the distressing scene which they had just witnessed but it was the necessary consequence of great crimes to bring distress and ruin upon all connected with the perpetrators he briefly reviewed the proof in which he showed that all the circumstances of the case concurred with those required by the act under which the unfortunate prisoner was tried that the counsel for the panel had totally failed in proving that euphemia deans had communicated her situation to her sister that respecting her previous good character he was sorry to observe that it was females who possessed the world's good report and to whom it was justly valuable who were most strongly tempted by shame and fear of the world's censure to the crime of infanticide that the child was murdered he professed to entertain no doubt the vacillating and inconsistent declaration of the prisoner herself marked as it was by numerous refusals to speak the truth on subjects when according to her own story it would have been natural as well as advantageous to have been candid even this imperfect declaration left no doubt in his mind as to the fate of the unhappy infant neither could he doubt that the panel was a partner in this guilt who else had an interest in a deed so inhuman surely neither robertson nor robertson's agent in whose house she was delivered had the least temptation To commit such a crime unless upon her account with her connivance and for the sake of saving her reputation but it was not required of him by the law that he should bring precise proof of the murder or of the prisoner's accession to it it was the very purpose of the statute to substitute a certain chain of presumptive evidence in place of a probation which in such cases it was peculiarly difficult to obtain. The jury might peruse the statute itself, and they had also the libel and interlocutor of relevancy to direct them in point of law. He put it to the conscience of the jury that under both he was entitled to a verdict of guilty. The charge of Fairbrother was much cramped, by his having failed in the proof which he expected to lead but he fought his losing cause with courage and constancy he ventured to arraign the severity of the statute under which the young woman was tried in all other cases he said the first thing required of the criminal prosecutor was to prove unequivocally that the crime libelled had actually been committed which lawyers called proving the corpus delecti but this statute made doubtless with the best intentions and under the impulse of a just horror for the unnatural crime of infanticide ran the risk of itself occasioning the worst of murders the death of an innocent person to atone for a supposed crime which may never have been committed by any one he was so far from acknowledging the alleged probability of the child's violent death that he could not even allow that there was evidence of its ever having lived the king's council pointed to the woman's declaration to which the council replied a production concocted in a moment of terror and agony and which approached to insanity he said his learned brother well knew was no sound evidence against the party who emitted it it was true that a judicial confession in presence of the justices themselves was the strongest of all proof insomuch that it is said in law that in confidentem nulle sunt partes judicis but this was true of judicial confessions only by which law meant that which is made in presence of the justices and the sworn inquest of extrajudicial confession all authorities held with the illustrious farinacius and Matthias, confessio extrajudicialis in se nulla est et quod nullum est non potest ad it was totally inept and void of all strength and effect from the beginning incapable therefore of being bolstered up or supported or according to the law phrase adminiculated by other presumptive circumstances in the present case therefore letting the extrajudicial confession go as it ought to go for nothing he contended the prosecutor has not made out the second quality of the statute that a live child had been born and that at least ought to be established before presumptions were received that it had been murdered. If any of the assize, he said, should be of opinion that this was dealing rather narrowly with the statute, they ought to consider that it was in its nature highly penal, and therefore entitled to no favorable construction. He concluded a learned speech, with an eloquent peroration, on the scene they had just witnessed, during which Saddletree fell fast asleep it was now the presiding judge's turn to address the jury he did so briefly and distinctly it was for the jury he said to consider whether the prosecutor had made out his plea for himself he sincerely grieved to say that a shadow of doubt remained not upon his mind concerning the verdict which the inquest had to bring in he would not follow the prisoner's counsel through the impeachment which he had brought against the statute of king william and queen mary he and the jury were sworn to judge according to the laws as they stood not to criticise or evade or even to justify them in no civil case would a counsel have been permitted to plead his client's case in the teeth of the law but in the hard situation in which counsel were often placed in the criminal court as well as out of favour to all presumptions of innocence he had not inclined to interrupt the learned gentleman or narrow his plea the present law as it now stood had been instituted by the wisdom of their fathers to check the alarming progress of a dreadful crime when it was found too severe for its purpose it would doubtless be altered by the wisdom of the legislature at present it was the law of the land the rule of the court and according to the oath which they had taken it must be that of the jury this unhappy girl's situation could not be doubted that she had borne a child and that the child had disappeared were certain facts the learned counsel had failed to show that she had communicated her situation all the requisites of the case required by the statute were therefore before the jury the learned gentlemen had indeed desired them to throw out of consideration the panel's own confession which was the plea usually urged in penury of all others by counsel in his situation who usually felt that the declarations of their clients bore hard on them but that the scottish law designed that a certain weight should be laid on these declarations which he admitted were Quota modo extrajudicial was evident from the universal practice by which they were always produced and read as part of the prosecutor's probation in the present case no person who had heard the witnesses describe the appearance of the young woman before she left saddletree's house and contrasted it with that of her state and condition at her return to her father's could have any doubt that the fact of delivery had taken place as set forth in her own declaration which was therefore not a solitary piece of testimony but admoniculated and supported by the strongest circumstantial proof he did not he said state the impression upon his own mind with the purpose of biasing theirs he had felt no less than they had done from the scene of domestic misery which had been exhibited before them and if they having god and a good conscience the sanctity of their oath and the regard due to the law of the country before their eyes could come to a conclusion favorable to this unhappy prisoner he should rejoice as much as any one in court for never had he found his duty more distressing than in discharging it that day and glad he would be to be relieved from the still more painful task which would otherwise remain for him the jury having heard the judge's address bowed and retired preceded by a macer of court to the apartment destined for their deliberation chapter twenty second